and helping our whole community in the deal shul. Thank you very much, testbeforedeal.com. Please support us. Shoot Rabbi Ozeri. First of all, uh, congratulations on the new synagogue. It's uh, beautiful. He actually built a beautiful Bet Knesset Na'eh. And Bezat Hashem, it should be used and worn out over time like the first one was. And Bezat Hashem, a lot of Torah and Tefillah will emanate from this uh, great. Holy Synagogue, Deal Synagogue, the mother synagogue of uh, Deal. Um, I'm three weeks early. Uh, usually, usually I don't come until uh, Tisha B'Av, but uh, my consuegro Jimmy called me, and uh, my wife says you can't tell the consuegro no, so I had no choice uh, to come to the... Uh, So I've just put something together this afternoon that I think is uh, appropriate. <clears throat> so there's the famous Mishnah in Masechet that tells us about the five things, uh, the five catastrophes that took place on Chivasa Tammuz. It's well known. We read it this morning in the Tefillah. Nishtabiru al-Luchot. Well, that's well known. Uh, the people... Uh, panicked after Moshe Rabbeinu was absent. They miscalculated the day. The Erev Rav uh, stirred B'nai Yisrael into a frenzy. And before you know it, they were frolicking around this Egel, saying, Ele Elohecha Yisrael. And that happened on Shiva Asar B'Tamuz. As a matter of fact, one of the Mepharshim says on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Says Vayamiru et Kivodi. They uh, substituted my honor for a shore, for an ox. And the end of the pasuk says Ochel Esev, a ox that eats grass. And the Mefarshim want to know why is it important to know the diet of the egel. What does it What does it matter if he ate grass or eats straw or hay? But the pasuk says Ochel Esev. And the Darshanim say that Esep actually is the Shetevot, Shiva Asar Betamuz. So it's hinting not what the Egel ate, but when the Egel actually was committed, Shiva Asar Betamuz. The second thing the Mishnah tells us was Butala Tamid. It was a Qurban Tamid that was brought every single day. Shiva Asar Betamuz, it stopped. There's a big mahlokan in the Yerushalmi, exactly who stopped the Korban Tamid. Rabbi Shimon says it happened in the Second Temple by Yichini and it happened by the Greeks. So that was at the end of the Second Temple. And actually Rashi says in the book of Daniel that it was Apostemos. The same, same guy that we're going to learn in a minute that birthed the Sefer Torah, Rashi holds he was the one that uh, caused the Tamid to stop being brought. Rav Levi in the Yerushalmi says it also happened in Bayechini, but it was by the Romans. So it's a look exactly at which point of uh, Bayechini 
uh, did this happen? Harambam, on the other hand, learns that Butala Tamid is by Trishon, and it was done by the Babylonians. So there we have a three-way machloket. Was it the Babliim that did it? Was it the uh, Romaim that did it? Or was it the Yevanim? And the third item that happened was Hufka'ah Ha'ir. The city or the wall of Jerusalem was breached. Now the consensus of all the Hakamim was that in the second Beit HaMikdash, they breached the wall, which then gained them entry to destroy Yerushalayim and the temple, that happened indeed on Yudzayin Betamuz and by Cheni. The controversy begins. This happened as well in Bayat Rishon. There was a breaching of the wall. The machloket between the Babli and the Yerushalmi is on which day was the wall breached in Bayat Rishon? And this is a big, big controversy. If you look at the Gemara Noshasharan Daf Yudchet, the Babylonian Talmud says that in Bayit Rishon, the wall was breached on the 9th of Tammuz. You still have some people today, Sadiqim and Hasidim, they fast on the 9th of Tammuz because of that Babli. And the Babli actually brings a pasuk in Yirmiyah that, I mean, says it straight out, that on the 9th day of Tammuz, the enemy came and breached the, the wall. And notwithstanding that pasuk, the Yerushalmi comes, and says, it wasn't on the 9th of Tammuz, it was on the 17th of Tammuz. That means just like in Bayit Shini, the wall was breached on the 17th, Yerushalmi says in Bayit Rishon, it was also on the 17th. So the Yerushalmi says, but what do you do with the Pasuk? I mean, you got a Pasuk that says it was on the 9th, and the Yerushalmi says something incredible. It's a mistake. <laughs> it's an easy answer. So the Yerushalmi just writes off the Pasuk and says, yeah, we know it says 9, but, you know, Yirmiyah made a mistake at 17. Tosfot comes along in Rosh Hashanah, Yudchet, and he says, what do you mean? How can you say Yirmiyah made a mistake? This is a Navi, he's writing a date in the, in the Prophet, and you're telling me that really it was 17, but he wrote 9. So Tosfot says something unbelievable. He says that uh, actually... Um, they were so confused during the time of the Hurban Bayit Rishon, they forgot the dates. There was such a chaos taking place at the time of the destruction that they lost track of the time. So they didn't even realize that it was the 17th of Tammuz, they thought it was the 9th of Tammuz. And Yirmiyah wanted to uh, give that feeling to Bnei Israel when he wrote the 9th of Tammuz, he wrote it on purpose just in order to uh, give that sense of confusion that was taking place. So he wrote it intentionally the wrong date to say, this is what the people thought. Could you believe it? They made a mistake on a week's time, even more. So that was written on purpose in order to impress the hardships of the people. So that's the mahlokit between Yerushalmi and Babli when Hufka'ar, second temple, everybody says it was Yudzayin, first temple, that's the uh, mahlokit when it was nine or 17, and then you have to deal with the Pesukim, as Yerushalmi says it was a mistake, and Tosfor explains why this intentional mistake was written, in order that the people should know how chaotic it was, that the people didn't even know the date when this happened. Fourth item, Apostemos, who was a Greek general, burnt the Torah. Now that's a tragedy 
in itself, no matter what Torah he burns, but the Tiferet Yisrael on the Mishnah says he actually burnt the Sefer Torah of Ezra Sofer. And that was an authoritative Sefer Torah that was written with great accuracy, and it's only one of a kind, and he burnt it. And the Tiferet Yisrael then says that he intended Apostomos to actually burn all the Sefarim that Klaisel had, so it seems that he burnt more than one Sefer. And then the final one is they actually put a Avodah Zarah in the Hechal, which is the Beta Mikdash, and Rashi learns that this is an event that took place in Bayit Rishon, done by the terrible king, Jewish king, Menashe. Okay, so now we learned the Mishnah. I know I didn't say any Hadushim yet. It's a well-known Mishnah. We just explained it, Alpi, Pishutam Shel Devarim. But the question that needs to be asked is, the Mishnah chose an order to list these things. Now, I understand why the Egil is written first, because chronologically, that's the first item that happened in history, that happened 17 Tammuz, in the year that they came out of Mitzrayim, so that's the first event on the list. According to Rashi, at least, the next thing they should have put on the list was Menasheh putting a Tzelem in the Hechal, because that was by Rishon. But for some reason, Selim Bahechal is not put until number five, to the end. And then, when we talk about the, the, the city being breached, now the city was breached on Shabbat and Tammuz, but that was right before the destruction. That was three weeks before the destruction. Apostemos burnt the Torah much earlier in the times of the Greeks. So why does the order of the Mishnah put Ir uh, first and then put what Apostemos did. The order begs an understanding. It's not following chronological. I know you're all fasting and it's a little technical stuff, but you'll hear the tape and you'll see that the question is over here that it's not following an order that we could really explain, you know, year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. It's out of order, basically. So the question then is, what is the seder of the Mishnah? We believe, yes, seder la Mishnah. There is seder to the Mishnah. What is it? So there is a, uh, there's a great rabbi called the Aruch Laner. The Aruch Laner was a rabbi that lived at the end of the 1700s. Uh, and his name was Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger. The boys in yeshiva learned his uh, comments on the Talmud. Uh, but he was a great, great Hakam, not only in the Talmud, but he was a Mekubal as well. He was the rabbi of Rav Samson Rafael Hirsch. Aruch Laner was the rabbi of that. And uh, he was a tremendous matmid. Aruch Laner used to learn uh, every night until 2 a.m. And then at 2 a.m. he would make tikkun hatzot, a very, very heartfelt tikkun hatzot, sitting on the floor crying. And then he would be the first one in shul at 5 a.m. with talit and tefillinam. So it just shows you what type of... Uh, what type of discipline this rabbi had. And he says in one of his dirashot, a most amazing explanation to the order of the Mishnah. And he says that the Mishnah is teaching us the road to spiritual decline. And it's not talking about Jews of a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, even in our generation. The Mishnah is teaching you how a Jew can go from a very high level and then find themselves on the bottom of the totem pole. And it's a slow digression. 
When a Jew goes off the derech, it doesn't happen overnight. It's one step and one degradation to the next until all of a sudden one finds himself in a terrible place. But where does it start? It always starts with number one, haluchot. The luchot represent the study of Torah. After all, the luchot had on them etched all the Torah. And once a person gives up his kibi'ut itim la Torah, he gives up the daily study of the Torah. He gives up his sedarim. He gives up his shi'urim. For whatever reason, Torah is not a priority in his schedule. That's the beginning of the end. All spiritual decline starts with eliminating Torah study. Whereas a person would be going every day to the Bet Knesset, and now all of a sudden he finds it too difficult. He says, well, I'll study at night, and at night he gets lazy. And before you know it, he falls into bad habits, he's playing on the computer, he's watching TV, he's doing other things, a wasted time. And now he's going around fooling around playing with his friends, not doing major abirot, but he just neglected the luchot. Nishtaberu al-luchot is the beginning of the end. But then what happens? Butala tamid. There's certain routines that we as religious Jews have that are tamid, they're daily routines. Every day we find ourselves in the Bet Knesset for Shaharit. And we put on a talit every day and the tefillin. And then we come back in the afternoon for Minha with Aminyan. And then we pray with Arbit. And of course we have Zmanim of Kiryat Shema every single day. And we have every single uh, week we have a Shabbat. And then we have the Hagim that are fixed on the calendar. These are referring to the Timidim. These are referring to the, the set fixed routine practices that we have uh, during the course of the Jewish calendar. We'll call that the daily avodah. And what happens is that once a person starts, stops learning Torah, so slowly, slowly, he falls out of his good routines and that steadiness that he had of mitzvah performance, you know, once he stops learning, so now shul does not become as appealing as it used to be. And he misses a minyan here and he misses a minyan here. Since he stops learning, his Shabbat is not what it used to be. And the Hagim now become a day off of work. And now things start to decline. And all that a good routine, the timidim, things that he was doing, now all of a sudden are in peril. So look what happens. Number one, he closes the book. Once he closes the book, then his routines start to become compromised. And now you don't see him in shul as often, and now you don't see him practicing those mitzvot that he did on a steady basis. But it doesn't end there. When a person is on a free fall, it doesn't end, it doesn't stop until he gets to the, almost of the point of no return, almost. The city is breached. Shalom Melech in Kohelet in chapter nine, this is what Aruch Laner says, refers to the neshama as Ir Ketana. The Ir Ketana is a small city, and that small city that has a fortress around it. And the Mepharshim explained that small city with the fortress around it is referring to the neshama that has the challenges fighting against the material of the goof. And what happens? Once a person stops learning, and once he stops his routine of going to Bet Knesset on a daily basis and doing the mitzvot, 
now his neshama is unfortified. Now his neshama is opened, not only not to perform good practice, but now he starts to fulfill rampant violations. Averot hamurot. He starts to fall into now sins. It's not enough that he's not doing asetov, but now he's involved in ra. Now he's committing federal crimes. His neshama is totally breached. Now again, this does not happen overnight. This does not happen in a week's time. But it happens over the course of time. Number one, He stopped going to class. Mutala tamid, his mitzvah practices became compromised. And now all of a sudden, His neshama is unprotected. And when you have an unfortified ear, now you're vulnerable, or the person, I should say, is vulnerable to all sins. Until he gets to the level of Serefata Torah, where there's nothing left. Where one Avera leads to another, an Avera Gorere, and before you know it, this person has nothing left. He has officially burnt at least his Torah. And then finally, Hu'amad Selim Bahichal. The final step is he defects. And now already, instead of wearing a Magen David around his neck, now already, I don't want to say what he's wearing. Now already, he's already gone to a different, different religion. Already it leads him to Avodah Zarah. That's the Mishnah's order. That's what leads to Galut. And if you have a question if this is true or not, this happens even today. We have our boys... In the girls, they're studying in the yeshiva. They're studying Torah properly. They have good habits. Yeshiva lets them go to shul every day. They have to pray with a minyan. They have to dress a certain way. They fall into the proper behavior. Then what happens? They graduate. As they graduate, no more pencils, no more books. And now they close the book. Nobody's forcing them. There's no follow-up. Nobody's forcing them to go study Torah in a large majority of the cases of the kids in the community. And therefore they start to drift. And they have to go off to college or they go off to wherever they're going to go to business. And now all of a sudden, bad, bad routines. The routine of praying three times a day, mutala tamid. Now that becomes compromised. Now the neshama is vulnerable. And before you know it, their whole religious life is in tatters and is in shambles. And before you know it, not too long after, you don't recognize that these are children that graduated our yeshivot. You cannot recognize them over a short period of time. So the Mishnah is actually telling us the five steps of how Galut happens. Galut happens because of these mistakes that are made. So then the question is, if we discuss the five steps to deterioration, and I don't have to repeat it. We see it in our community today. It's enough to see what's going on. The deterioration of the community from within. From within, not from outside. There's a certain uh, decrepit foundations that are eating away at the community. You don't see it because there's so much good going on so the good overshadows or, or blinds us from the, from the bad that's taking place. 
there's a lot of sunlight, so you don't see the other things, and we get so blinded by it. We say, oh, the community is so good, everybody's doing everything good. But then when the sun comes down a little and you can start to see other things, you see that unfortunately there's a lot of garbage taking place. And that's only because it's the parents, which I put the main blame on, but the children, they stopped learning when they left high school, and as they stopped learning, they stopped going to Bet Knesset, and that's it. Remember what Aruch Laner said. They stopped going to Bet Knesset, and then before you know it, the Neshama is vulnerable and susceptible, and now they're doing major league crimes, Averot Hamurot. Before you know it, there's no Torah left. They burned the Neshama, nothing is left inside of them, and therefore there's no Shabbat, there's no Yom Tov, there's no Deen, there's no Dayan. Before you know it, Omar said, You cannot tell the difference between a Jew and a Goy. They become an official Goy. And I've said uh, that this is something that Aruch Laner can talk. Aruch Laner actually went to university until he had to leave university because of anti Semitism. But obviously, he knew the rules and it did not cause him to decline. Actually, he remained on a high level. He was able to protect himself. But that's, that's not an advice, probably, for. <clears throat> many of us here today. So if I came here, <clears throat> I, only, I know I have only a few minutes left, but if I came here to tell you the negative, so I guess it wouldn't be fair if I didn't tell you the positive. Uh, if we just spelled out the five steps to destruction of people, of a community, so we should discuss the steps of redemption. So what is the key? So there was a great rabbi called Aruch, not Aruch HaShulchan, B'nei Yisachar, the great rabbi Medinov. And I recommend it. He has, on every single month of the Jewish calendar, he has an essay. And he gives you all the secrets of the month, what it represents, and all the different remazim, what the kabanot should be, and exactly what the concentration, which you should focus. And when it comes to the month, of Tammuz, especially starting Shavasah with Tammuz until Tisha B'Av. He did a calculation, it's 22 days, it's an easy, it's an easy one. Counting Shavasah with Tammuz and counting Tisha B'Av. And he says this Yemeh Ben HaMetzarim is no less than 528 hours. 528 hours, that's the uh, period of the year that we're entering now. Uh, and he says that is in, it is in these 528 hours, starting Shabbat Sabbat Tammuz, which I guess was yesterday, up until including Tisha B'Av. I guess we have a couple extra days, if you're going to count it from the day before and the day after. But in principle, it's 528. And he says the key to redemption is in these days. And he says that if you take the word mafteyach, which is the Hebrew word for a key, mafteyach exactly equals 528. So he says the mafteyah of Geulah mem, pe, taf, chet. The mafteyah of Geulah is in the 528 hours of Yemeh ben Amitzarim. But then he says, how? And he writes that there's something else that equals 528, and that's the amount of pirakim that are in Mishnayot. If you count all the Shas Mishnayot that we have Mishnayot on, you'll see that there's 528 Mishnayot. And he says that the redemption will come when the Jews recommit themselves to the study of Mishnah and Torah Shiva Alpen. 
And of course he quotes the Pasuk in the Navi, Gam im yitenu bagoyim ata akabetsem. Literally it means, God is saying, if I place them in the exile of the goyim, I will redeem them. But the word yitenu doesn't only mean to be placed, but yitenu is from the Lashon matnitin. Gam im yitenu. And even when they will learn Mishnayot and Torah Shabbat Peh, Baguim, amongst the nations of the world, Misham Akabetzem. So he's giving us the road back to redemption. The road to redemption will come only through the study of Torah Shabbat Peh, specifically during uh, these weeks. And it was brought down by the great Rav Nachman from Breslov when he says the word Tammuz. Tammuz is Taf, Mem, Vav, Zayin. And he says Tammuz is Rashi Tevot. Zichru, Torat, Moshe. During the month of Tammuz, Zichru, Torat, Moshe. Don't forget the Torah of Moshe. So they asked the rabbi from Breslov, it's a nice Rashi Tevot, but you forgot the Vav. Tammuz has a Vav in there. What are you going to do with that? He says that it is known that the Luchot, the tablets that had the Torah on it, their measurements were six tefahim by six tefahim. Their measurements were six by six. And they went missing during Shiva Sabbath Tammuz. That's when the Torah was broken. And therefore Tammuz is haser vav to allude to us the breaking of the Luchot, which signified the forgetting of Torah. And therefore, during this time, he says, one must commit themselves to learning Torah. And as a matter of fact, maybe it's not so well known, but if somebody would ask, when is the real day of Matan Torah? Well, I should say, the original day of Matan Torah. Zman Matan Torah Tenu. When is it? Well, we always say, Shavuot. But the real day of Matan Torah was supposed to be Shavasa Tammuz. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the Luchot. That was the day that we were supposed to receive the Torah. We were supposed to be in Tammuz. And Rabbi Nachman from Breslov says, Tammuz is Rashi Tevot. Taf Mem Zayin, Zeman Matan Toratenu. And therefore, in this month uh, that we're beginning now, these weeks, it is important for us to recommit ourselves to the study of Torah. Any boy or girl or community member that moves away from the study of Torah, you have begun a free fall down and it'll end up to a very low place. Rafetz Chaim said, the Torah is a Etz Chaim. What is Etz Chaim? Etz Chaim is a tree of life. Now it's not the tree of life that you have hanging in the synagogue with some names that people made some donations and gave a few bucks to put a person's name on it, the Elun That's a, a, a way to collect money. But what's a real Etz Chaim? Etz Chaim really is a tree of life, according to the Hafez Chaim, that if somebody was in the ocean and he's in turbulent waters and the waves are coming and crashing against him and he's trying to survive and he sees a few feet away a log and he says to himself, if I can only get to that log and hold on to the log, I'll be able to float. And finally he swims and he swims and he grabs onto the log for dear life and now it's giving him buoyancy. He's able to float. Says that's called Etz Chaim. It's a tree of life. The Torah is that tree of life. This world is more turbulent than the worst riptide 
or the worst currents on the on the most windy and uh, and, and 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 windiest of days. It's a very very dangerous place. This world, especially in the time that we're living, we don't stand a chance. Our children don't stand a chance if they're not going to hold on to the Torah. If they're not going to hold on to its Chaim, it is not questionable, but it is guaranteed that the pull, the gravitational pull of the ocean is going to pull them down. The force against is too strong. Good news is, we have Etz Chaim. So the fellow held on to the, to, the, to, to, the, to the log, and he floated back to the shore. So somebody saw him and said, Hazako Baruch, you saved that log. <laughs> he said, Yutipesh, I saved the log. Because it looks like he saved the log, because he's holding on to the log. So it's as if the log was in trouble, and he saved the log. And he said, you got it all wrong. I was holding on to the log for dear life. It saved my life. And therefore I say again, the only thing that will save our community from internal deterioration, which we're seeing, we are seeing this deterioration. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. It's only because once we graduate, we stop learning, we stop coming to Bet Knesset, and from there it's a slippery slope all the way down to decadence and degeneration. And therefore, we must recommit ourselves during the time of the destruction of God's house. Be honest with you, it's hard for me to cry about God's house because I never was there, I never saw it. I'm happy to go to Jerusalem and see the Western world. That's, for me, a great thing. But I cry every night about the destruction of the homes of our community. The Bayit Yisrael, these homes that we have over here, homes that have forgotten what Shabbat is supposed to look like. Shabbat has become a weekend, Saturday, we have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We have a weekend. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Saturday. Thank God it's Saturday night. It's all a bunch of... A bunch of and I've said, even if those people that claim they're in the mainstream, and I have no problem, my parents, my grandparents, they consider themselves in the mainstream. But the mainstream shouldn't forget just because you live in the middle doesn't mean you're a goy. That's the whole key. They think, oh, because I'm not, a, I'm not an extreme guy that eats halab Israel, so therefore what? Therefore I'm an animal. I go to be, to, to be a goy. There has to be a, a balance. It's not all or nothing. It's not that if you're not willing to live on the extreme right, that that means you become a goy. That's not the formula. There has to be a middle for those people that want it. But today, unfortunately, we're seeing the extremes, and that's eating away like termites at the foundation of our great community. And therefore, during the three weeks, we don't only remember the destruction of God's home, we become alerted and aware of the destruction, unfortunately, slowly, but it's happening, of the homes of the members of our community. And I'm not talking about the physical structures. I'm talking about what's inside the children. Let's recommit ourselves to Etz Chaim. This great synagogue, Baruch Hashem, is a tree of life for our community. A lot of Torah comes from this synagogue and others as well. I represent the small school down the block. But the point is, the point is, but synagogues like this and Batim Midrash like this, this is where the salvation is going to come. And I pray that Prophet Hashem Olam should rebuild his home uh, and to say to our troubles, die and make